Hey, I'm Kyle. I'm Dave. And I'm Brad. And this is the So What podcast from Theology in the Middle. So guys, last year I bought a used vehicle, and uh, when I got it, it had the original set of tires on it. And so I've been driving it for the past year. But over the past couple of months, I have this recurring problem where my front passenger side tire continues to lose air. And, um, you know, I'm waiting on this stimulus check to come in so I can get some bigger tires put on my truck. But, you know, I've been wondering, is this just negligence on my part? Or do you guys think that somehow the devil is letting out the tire, the air from my tires? Why would he want to do that? Oh, it's just frustrating, man. It gets me gets me down. <laughs> I'm ready to go somewhere, and I gotta stop at the gas station and put some air in my tires. You know, it's just it's just frustrating, man. Is he is he trying to make me lose my joy? Like, is there a scenario where you were running late in the morning because it's Sunday? You're preaching. Uh, family's a little disordered. You're out the door ten minutes late, and that's exactly when the air starts to to you know, hiss out, so you have to pull over to a garage, and you're wondering to yourself, is the devil doing this? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I think it's an interesting question, um, because when you come to, you know, broadly, spiritual warfare, um, the way you answer that question, or, or even approach it to begin with, kind of depends on where you are in the world, right? Yeah. And what kind of culture you're in. So here in the West, um, we've kind of inherited this materialistic, naturalistic worldview where there's no such thing as the spiritual. Everything has a physical explanation for it. So the answer, you know, our knee-jerk reaction answer would be, no, man, just get a new tire, Yeah, (laughs) right? There's probably something wrong with the seal or something. Um, But if you go to other places and other parts of the world, Dave, you and I have been there. Uh, together, um, they would probably, you know, raise an eyebrow and think to themselves, well, maybe uh, there is something to that because uh, there are voodoo uh, doctors and and witches and they live in an enchanted world uh, where the spiritual uh, plays every bit of part of their life as uh, the physical does. So where, where should Christianity, I guess, land between those spectrums of materialism and spiritualism. God, I mean, you just mentioned that. I, I, I've actually forgotten that story about the time we went to Haiti and we were doing a pastor's conference and training local pastors and there was a worship service going on and everyone's singing a song. And then all of a sudden this lady just starts like, bro, like a blood curling scream. Just, I mean, tell me if I'm exaggerating that Kyle. I mean, I jumped. It was bizarre. And nobody even blinked. They just kept singing yeah. and just kind of, and it happened multiple times. And after the service, Cal and I were like, uh, anyone can explain that to us? <laughs> They're like, oh, um, she does voodoo. She struggles with demon possession. And when the spirit of the Lord comes onto the assembly of believers, like the demons leave her. And that's what you're hearing. And it was just, I mean, it was as if we said, what are we having for lunch? There was just this calmness. Yeah, it was they just told us. And- so matter of fact for them. It was like, yeah, if, the, if you're not getting any, you can't get on the website then just reset the router. Duh. <laughs> okay. So I'm the odd man out. I wasn't there. Did their explanation make sense to you? Did, at the time were you like, that's outside of my realm of understanding, but, 
or experience, but that makes sense. Or were you still a little skeptical? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts and I have, you know, this is just, these are half baked and cause this is coming on the fly, but honestly, it really depends on where you are right there. And then I was really open to it. We saw voodoo, we saw these things. And so, but if it happened in, in my congregation and you know, the I don't know, more established modern world, I probably would have been like, oh, I would have diagnosed it. You know, she has undiagnosed schizophrenia. She's off her meds or whatever. Yeah. And so I don't know. And, and that's the reality, I think, is is that we don't talk about this. We're not trained mm. for it. I didn't have a class on spiritual warfare in seminary. I'm not sure yeah. that you guys did. And no. the few people I do talk to that want to talk, they're obsessed with it. And everything's demonic. Um, and, you know, I... I don't think it's helpful that we don't talk about it. And so I'm glad we are today. I'm not sure that I have answers, but I am glad. And I think Kyle is on the beat too, is we are dealing with metaphysical naturalism and really the death of expertise at the same time. And so it's just, mm. uh, if I can't see it, if I can't hear it, if I can't experience it, therefore it doesn't exist. And for some people that's a baby in the womb. And for other people, it's the coronavirus. It's fake news because I don't know anyone personally that's dealing with it. And so then when it comes to the spiritual realm, even in our churches, it's kind of, I think it's, it's on the margins and no one's really putting much thought into it at all. Yeah. Which is interesting because we're called to live for an invisible kingdom and hope for something we've not seen. And, you know. Yeah. So, so do you think it's likely then that our people, whether they realize it or not, they've been a victim or if they've been involved in quote unquote spiritual warfare? Do you think that's like, would we all be confident in saying that Christians experience that whether they realize it or not? I would. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the devil's on holiday. You yeah. Know? So then for me, my first real, like, coming out of that when I woke up to the reality of the spiritual world wasn't in Haiti. It was in Central Texas. When one Sunday I was preaching a sermon and started to notice a lot of distractions in the service, like more than normal. Kids getting up and moving around, going to the bathroom. Um, at the end of the service, at one point, a few people stood up and it just, I was totally distracted. And after the service, you know, I was talking with some of the folks in our church about, man, this was just kind of a weird service, you know. Somebody said to me, what do you think it was spiritual warfare? You know, and it hit me maybe for the first time when I realized, wait, there is a reality out there that I've maybe been closed off to and sort of naive about. That every Sunday when I stand up to preach the gospel, I'm there the people are there, the Spirit of God is there, and then there are also other unseen forces who have a desire to obstruct the beauty of the gospel from the people who are sitting there. And they want to make distractions apparent. You know, it's like Lewis talked about in the screw tape letters. You know, the, uh, the strategy maybe these unclean spirits use is to make us hone in on distractions. The, the preacher saying, um, too many times in the pulpit, or fiddling with his ring or people getting up to go to the restroom, you know, he wants people's minds to be taken off of the truth about Jesus and to focus on minor things because more than anything, what he wants to do is to keep people in their lostness, to keep them blind to spiritual reality, to keep them turned off to the things of God. And when that Sunday happened, it um, kind of changed the way I approach things. You know, I, I pray harder and, uh, and I'm more aware about it. Um, what, do you, what would your encouragement be to me? Like, how should I handle something like that? 
Yeah, it's. I wanted to make a comment on that because you brought up uh, screw tape letters. So if you're listening and <clears throat> you're not familiar with that work, it was a really famous book written by uh, C.S. Lewis, and it was this fictional imaginative conversation between an elder demon and a younger demon who was kind of cutting his teeth with his first uh, client or patient, uh, a Christian that he was supposed to be tempting. And uh, you said that one of the goals of the enemy is to is to prevent us from coming to truths and uh there's a really famous line in screw tape letters when the elder demon's talking to the younger he says it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds in reality our best, best work, work is, is keeping done them out yeah by keeping things out yeah, yeah and so it's it's you you're experiencing that in that moment when you're preaching uh, something that Lewis observed, and I think is is true about kind of the strategy, uh, this you know wartime strategy between um, good and evil, uh, and and such a powerful thing is to is to get people to stop thinking about meaning, purpose, beauty, and above all, the gospel. What's really interesting about that is Lewis got the idea for that book during a boring sermon and started jotting down notes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Are you serious? That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that is good. You know, it just dawned on me, though, that that approach only makes sense for Satan. You know, I mean, God is the creator. He's the one who brings things to life. Satan is opposed to God. So he's the destroyer, right? Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy but I've come to them and I have life. So Satan's desire is to take away and to crush. And I mean, that's the way he's described in Scripture, you know, that he keeps people blind and, um, you know, he keeps people deluded and walking about under his influence. And so for me, it makes sense that they would use that strategy. I mean, it's a fictionalized account based on truth. So let me let me ask, now that we've, we've kind of um, waded into these waters. Let's go back to the original question you asked. Is uh, Satan responsible for your flat tire? Um, when you're asking that question, are you asking, does Satan every 30 days sneak into your garage and screw off the cap just a little bit <laughs> to let some air out and then walk away? Or is what you're asking, does the enemy use in the physical realm things that will agitate us, uh, weaknesses that he knows is in our personality, like uh, impatience, quickness to anger, uh, and knowing that you're going to get frustrated for the 40th time with a, with a flat tire, uh, that's his opportunity to draw you away from the glory of God. Well, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to delineate <laughs> between the two, but I think you're on to something. I think the second's probably more more real. You know, that's probably the way he works. What do you think, Dave? I'm going to say something here that I, I'm going to wish I wouldn't say because I think this will be played back to me in 20 years. Like, did you really say that? And I would say, yeah, I did. Uh, I think one of the reasons we don't see supernatural activity for positive or negative much, you know, why aren't we seeing the dead raised and people healed from leprosy? Why aren't we walking into hospitals and laying hands on people is really because I kind of feel like it, it's the same reason Jesus didn't do certain miracles in certain cities, the lack mm -hmm. of faith. Even if they yeah. saw the dead raised, they wouldn't believe. Yeah. And one of the points of the supernatural acts and miracles is to attest to the veracity of the message. It's to go hand in hand. God yeah. is authority. He is king overall. Look how he has power over demons. Look how he has power over X, Y, Z, diseases, natural disasters, and all the rest. And faith would come. 
Well, why don't we see that a lot in the West is I just don't think it would do much. I'm just telling you, I mean, if a guy rolled into our congregation in a wheelchair and after my sermon said, God healed my legs, I'd kind of want to see test results and like how long and, yeah. you know, like I, I, I think, and I'm the pastor and I'm preaching and I would struggle with doubt. And so if that's the case in the positive, I think Satan is petty and is willing to adapt whatever methodology he has to, to accomplish his mission. Mm. And I mm-hmm. think if, if I walked down the street and saw a guy with fiery red eyes saying, I am son of Beelzebul and snakes were coming out of his mouth, I'd go, oh my gosh, the devil is alive and well. Um, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think that that's his tactic right now. I think he's going to a more subtle form of spiritual attack. And I think he's petty enough to let air out of your tire or he's petty enough to use the natural currents of air coming out of your tire to distract you from the glory of God. Right. Mm. Right. That's good. So we know it can happen then in a church service. You guys experienced it in Haiti, and I experienced it here in Texas. Um, what about on a more personal dimension? Stuff in our families, you know, in our homes. I I also want to add to that to answer your question. is it, Satan hates God's mission, and God's yeah. mission takes different forms. God's mission takes individual obedience daily and submitting to the Spirit, crucifying your flesh. Uh, God's mission takes a, a marriage of two becoming one and loving one another and serving one another. And it takes a family and raising and discipling kids. And in every form and facet that God's mission takes shape, Satan hates it and wants to stand against it. Just point yeah. blank. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. And I love the quote by Luther, uh, where Christ builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. Uh, you will always find his work mirroring and chasing after what God is doing. And Edward says, if God can make a diamond, Satan makes a counterfeit, you know, and, and that's the reality. And so I just want to say, if you are living on mission for Christ, if you are intending your family to chase after God and, and to make his name known, uh, Satan knows you and he hates you. Um, he knows your name. It's like Acts 19 with the sons of Sceva who just want to kind of get in on the exorcism stuff. and <laughs> They try to cast out a demon. And what the demon says is, Jesus, I know, and, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And what I'm trying to say is, if you are living for the Lord, uh, then Satan knows your name. Yeah, He would say, Brad, I've heard of, and Aaron, too. And, and um, in, in some ways, that's a scary thing and that, that we should take seriously. He is an enemy. He's a prowling lion. Uh, and though Christ is conqueror, we're still told to be aware of him and be sober of his attack. So yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I have a friend who's a, a missionary and he was telling me a story about this, uh, female Bible translator who went to an unreached people group in, uh, in Mongolia and, uh, they lived in the mountains and the pass only opens once a year, um, from ice and so one year she and her teammate went into this this village of unreached people and began preaching the gospel to them. And uh, the chief told him to go away. But then his daughter was sick. And so she said, you know, could I pray for your daughter? And so he let he let her do that and that his daughter was healed. And as the this team was there talking to him, they noticed on all their, I guess they live in yurts, emblems of trees. And the uh, the missionary asked them, you know, what are these trees? And the chief told him, these protect us from the evil spirits who live here. And she said, well, now that you trusted in Jesus, you know, this is what you need to do. When the evil spirits come, tell them this, we belong to Jesus, go away. And so when their time in the village went up, they left and they came back the next year when the, when the pass opened and the chief ran out to meet them and said, it works. It works. When we say we belong to Jesus, go away. They do. They listen. And uh, that's one of those almost unbelievable stories 
But, I mean, that is as simple as it is. You know, you, what you're saying, Dave, is true. There's no reason to live in fear. Jesus has conquered, and he's victorious. And uh, even simple prayers like that, we belong to Jesus, go away, you know, are a, a huge comfort to us personally. But they're effective. I hear skeptics like listen to this kind of conversation and they'd say like, well, of course, that kind of stuff happens in Haiti and it happens in Mongolia. Uh, they have low health care and high mortality and they don't have education systems and they don't have government structures. And so they have to rely on the gods to help them and they're backwards and they're primitive and those types of things. Um, that's why they're experiencing it, right? That's going to be the explanation. Um, I, I find it interesting i was in the military and um one of the things about warfare is uh not everything requires artillery uh not everything requires bombing to you know uh to meet your objective sometimes instead of uh shelling a position you can use espionage so there's warfare that's not seen and there's warfare that's seen. There's warfare that does destruction in a digital or a cyberspace. And there's destruction that's done in a physical space. And that's something that's so simple for us to understand. But then when you apply it uh, to spiritual warfare, uh, we, we shy away. So if we as humans have been able to figure out that, that warfare is multifaceted, right? There's a place for artillery. There's a place for espionage. Um, why can't the enemy do the same thing? So... My point is, in Mongolia and Haiti, they experience shellings. They experience bombings, spiritually yeah, speaking. Really but the things that we're experiencing, we don't even recognize it. The enemy is coming in, stealing data, leaving. It's espionage. It's, it's, it's warfare done at a level uh, that, that we can't perceive. So how do you defend? I know, you know people make millions in cybersecurity. How do you defend against the lesser forms of spiritual warfare? I want to answer that, but I also want to say, you know, unless you can look me in the eyes and tell me that you're demon possessed, you can't say the devil made me do it. That the, the, the devil often participates with our fleshly desires, our own temptations, you know, and I think that's the other danger to fall into where we just blame everything on the devil, uh, where it's like, nope, you entertain that thought you stayed up late after your wife went to bed and we're surfing on the internet when you know you struck, you know what I mean? And so the devil kind of utilizes our flesh to work against us. And so uh, like Kyle saying, there are different tactics that he takes. And so we just need to be on all fronts of the defense. Some are obvious attacks, some are more subtle. And I like to think of the demonic like germs, you know, they're always there. Whether I see them or not, um, when I go to the bathroom and, and, and flush something and touch, I need to wash my hands right after because I know and feel that they're dirty. You know, you don't see mm -hmm. germs, but you know that they're there. I don't fixate on them, but I don't ignore their existence either. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the fight against the devil is we have to learn to identify our enemy and, and yeah. make sure that we understand that um, you do not war against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And so yeah. uh, my kids are not germs. They're not the enemies, but they are harbingers of germs. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so recognizing uh, how to fight, to be vigilant, but to be sober. I, I like the quote by Scotty Smith that sometimes sin may be crouching at the door, but we have to remember that grace owns the house. 
we are weary of the enemy's attacks. We, we know how he wants to come, but we pray for the Spirit's assistance. We pray for his protection. We crucify our own flesh and put ourselves in place where we're most likely to obey. We set up accountability. Yeah. Uh, we learn to trust that God is the champion. We, we fight against his flaming arrows of doubt and frustration with the truth of God's word. Because like Luther always said, you know, the devil is God's devil. He unwittingly does what God wants him to do. I like the scene. I'm going to go ahead and tip my hand on another unpopular opinion. I think the Leviathan in Job is a, a metaphor for Satan and death and, and just take that for what it's worth. But I love the way that God describes the Leviathan like a dog on a leash. Yeah. Does it do mm. what you say? It can only go so far. And so I mean to say, even when the devil brings his worst attacks against us, he unwittingly does the will of our Lord to say when he comes over me in doubt and says like, you're not worthy. I can't believe you did that thing you thought that thought i thought you were a pastor i thought you were a good person yeah and he does these things to drive me away from christ in reality when you embrace the accusation and say you're right i am unworthy i am unclean and christ forgives me and takes me and washes me with his blood and he sets me on a new trajectory and he sanctifies me by his spirit you know he yeah. unwittingly does god's work and so I think those are just some tactics. We fight with truth. We fight with joy. Those are some tactics we can take against whatever form of attack the enemy brings against us. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It reminds me of the uh, the scene from Zechariah chapter 2 where Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord in the heavenly temple and there's the accuser beside him. And, um, you know, the accuser's there to... And Joshua's in dirty robes. The accuser's there to show God, hey, look at this. This guy's the high priest. You know, he's the man appointed for the task you've given him. Look at how dirty he is. And and God says, this is a brand plucked from the fire. And he instructs him to clothe him in clothes of white and to put a clean turban on his head. I mean, he, God stands up for him against Satan. And that's the truth that you're talking about is that um, Satan will accuse us. And he does me in my sleep, you know. Um, I hear stuff in my head when I'm laying in bed that I know is not from God. Uh, you know, God wouldn't speak that over me. God has spoken a better word. He's told me that I am justified. I am righteous Amen. before him. Uh, Satan's the one who wants to bring up my sin. And uh, that's a good thing to remind ourselves who we are in Jesus. So when you have to get out of your truck for the 30th time to look at the tire, yeah, the air gone, right? Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, when I have to get out of the truck and look at my tire, I know, number one, Satan did not let the air out of my tire. I've been negligent in getting new tires. This tire is, is worn. It needs it. But the reality of it is, at the same time, that Satan wants to use that experience to yep. create in me frustration and anger so that when I get back in my truck and have to look my wife in the face, I'm a little bit you know, less gentle in the way I respond. Mm -hmm. um, he, he wants me, as best as he can, his desire in my life, is to keep me unfocused on what God would have me do. And God would have me live my life in peace to know that, uh, that he's in control and to not let minor things get me down. I think that's why, you know, the classic passage for spiritual warfare is Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. You know, the things with which we extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, and at the end of that, uh, you know, he talks about the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and then he comes to prayer. And for me, that's where spiritual warfare has really come into focus in my life, is that each morning when I start my day, I know that I'm in my quiet time hoping to receive a word from God that's going to encourage me, going to set me on the path for the day that he wants me to be on. 
But at the same time, I need to pause and reflect and say, Lord, you know that there are going to be things in my life that I'm not anticipating today, like a flat tire. But whatever comes, I'm trusting that you're going to give me the strength and the courage to face it head on, that you're going to be with me as I walk with you. I think that is a better word, a good word. I mean, so to recap in this episode, we're talking about, have you ever wondered, did the devil give me a flat tire on the way to church? And our answer to that is maybe, I mean, probably, but regardless of whether or not Satan sent his number three henchman, Steve, to shoot a fiery demon arrow into your tire, or if you just haven't replaced him yet, either way, the way you should respond is to pray for patience. Yeah. Uh, to, to offer your kids a better perspective. If you can't fix the tire, if you can fix the tire yourself, disciple your kids in a life skill. If you can't show humility, admitting that to your children, teach them a myriad of ways that God gives his people so that we would depend on one another, overwhelm the roadside assistance person with kindness and peace. I mean, you're on your way to church for goodness sake. Uh, thank the Lord for the blessing and means to repair it. And, and don't let the poison and frustration leak into the rest of your day and taint it that we need to seize every opportunity and take every thought captive and submit them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's really good, Dave. And actually makes me look forward to the topic we're going to be talking about next time. What role do our emotions play in faith? So thanks for joining us on this episode and we'll see you next time.